Welcome to Beer Life. My name is Jordan Foss, and on today's episode, Gigantic Brewing's Ben Love. Ben and I are going to talk about how he got his start in the industry, how he started up Gigantic Brewing with his partner Van. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his new tasting room that they're going to be opening up, and we're going to talk about how the Portland scene is different from Vancouver. Here's episode 12 of Beer Life. So I, I noticed when I called in that it says, if you have a well-behaved dog on a leash, that dog is welcome to the patio. So I want to yeah. ask, why do you have to, uh, why did you have to say well-behaved dog? Did you have ill-behaved dogs on the patio? Uh, there are ill-behaved dogs sometimes, actually. I mean, it's pretty rare, but the, the main thing is like having a dog on a leash. But obviously, we get enough people down here uh, with dogs that if there's one that just, you know, I mean, there's certain dogs that just don't get along with other dogs or sometimes people try to, you know, they want to uh, socialize their dog. So they might be like, oh, I'll go grab a pint. Yeah. And so, you know, if they're not, if they're not behaving well, then, uh, then we'll ask them to, to leave or to put the dog in the car or something. Like I that. always notice that people that like to leave their dog off leash always think that their dog is really well behaved off leash. Yeah. And it's normally, the, it's normally yeah. the opposite. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh no, it's okay. This is for nor- my business partner, Jamie at Steel and Oak. He's got two dogs and in all fairness, they are really good dogs, but he is always, they're always, he's the guy that always has them off leash. And then other people get mad at him and say like, you need to have that dog on the le- on leash. And funny yeah. enough, I've lost his dogs a couple times. Actually, Kevin and I, I both. I was there for one of those times, yeah. Yeah, lost his dog because it was not on a leash. So, um, And I wouldn't say we lost the dog. I'd say the dog. Yeah, the dog ran off. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It ran off on us. <laughs> so uh, so always keep your dog in a leash, especially if you're at Gigantic Brewing on their patio. Yeah, and make sure it's well behaved. Yes. Um, so exactly. to start at the beginning, Ben, how did you get into beer? What were you doing beforehand and, and like what made you decide to get into it? Yeah, so... Um, so before beer, then I was working for FedEx as a courier. Okay. And yeah, delivering packages. And that started when I was going to college. And so, you know, I worked as a, as a handler for FedEx because, uh, you know, it's a good job is in the morning and in the evening and they paid a little bit for, for school. And then, uh, basically I'd, I'd moved out to Wisconsin and I'd met a girl out there. And so I moved out to, to be with her and stopped going to college and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. And, and I was kind of trying to decide what it would be. And, and I, uh, you know, I was looking, I actually, I, for a while I considered becoming a chef. Um, I thought that might be something that, that I would really enjoy cause I do like cooking. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized you know, I, I talked to some people who were chefs and realized what the actual job was and, and that it wasn't for me. And so then I thought, I was like, well, uh, you know, when I was young, I had started, uh, grew up in Portland and so had, to shoot spears as a kid and as a kid and like bridge uh sorry black or sorry what am i thinking brain's not going right that's okay we'll edit it out uh, to make you sound <laughs> like you didn't miss a beat <laughs> yeah so when i was you know i grew up in portland and uh so as a kid i had the shoots and bridgeport ipa um you know basically kind of like in my well teenage years and and uh early 20s and yeah. stuff and and I drank at the Horsefrass Pub when I turned 21. My buddies and I uh, started drinking there. And pretty pretty famous pub here in Portland. Right on. And then I worked at Belmont Station for a while. And so anyways, like, it was a couple of years later when I was living in Wisconsin and trying to decide what to do. And I was like, well, I like I like drinking beer. Maybe I'd like making beer. And uh, so I so I called a few breweries and found out what, what the job was all about. And I went down to, there's two brew pubs in the town I was living in, in Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. And one of them had a part-time job 
And so, so I started working there and, and I liked the work and, and then, so that led me to then enroll in the, uh, American Brewers Guild program, okay. which is, uh, a six month, uh, correspondence, uh, brewing education program. And from that, I got a job coming back to Oregon at, uh, the Pelican Pop and Brewery down on the coast in Oregon, which was awesome. I was down there, uh, yeah, living on the beach for sweet. For three years, yeah, yeah, it was so, great. So and you're one so, of you're one of the few guys that that I've talked to that didn't start out homebrewing. You got a job first and then got into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I. Uh, yeah, I, I did homebrew once. I basically I got the job at the uh, or maybe it was even before I got the job at that brewery in Wisconsin. I was like, I think I should probably homebrew. So I went and, like bought a kit and you know brewed on my uh, stove at home and made a really you know awesome IPA. It turned out great. <laughs> that's why I knew. And brewing was for me. That tasted more like an English IPA than probably what you intended it to. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you're down, on the, yeah. you're down on the coast in Portland, um, and you're working for Pelican. And then how long were you there before you kind of decided that, that you were going to go off on your own? So I was there for three years, and then I was looking to move back to Portland and uh, got a job at Hopworks Urban Brewery when, yeah. uh, when they opened up. And so... Yeah, I actually, uh, it's one of those, it's kind of a funny thing because like I, I have the job I had been talking with Christian, who's the owner of brewmaster there. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to hire you when, when this thing gets going. And then it took a long time and you know, like basically it was a big project. So and they were dealing with the city of Portland as far as, uh, permits and everything. And, and so, so it's kind of, I was, I was anxious to move back to the city uh, and so then he, he went and he, he talked to Darren, who's the owner and brewmaster at Pelican and told him that he was going to bring me on just to make sure it was cool or whatever. Yeah. And Darren was like, yeah, that's great. So when's he going to leave? Which was good for me because it set a date. And, uh, and so I was able to move up to Portland sooner, but as a result, I ended up doing construction on the new brewery for about six months before we even started uh, brewing any beer. Right. Yeah, which, I mean, I think that's kind of like, I know with our original brewer, Peter, that was kind of, you know, the way it went, right? You secure somebody a little early, and then you're like, shit, we're not going to open the doors yet. What else is this? How can we afford to what pay this person, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's exactly. also interesting, too, that that I was talking about that on an earlier podcast episode. I can't remember with who, but it's this weird, like, uh, it's interesting that it crosses borders as well, that the, the I don't know another industry where somebody calls the other person's business to make sure that it's cool if they hire that person you know yeah yeah and i thought it was pretty funny at the time you know, yeah actually i wasn't i wouldn't say funny wasn't the right word i was pretty kind of pissed <laughs> off about it um yeah fair <laughs> i was enough. like i was like it's last time i checked like no nobody owns anybody anymore no, you know, no. Like that, you know and i get it like you know it's a small industry and so you don't want to piss anybody off but at the same time like obviously as as people we have the ability to to go where we want you know yeah. and do what we want so so yeah but it actually it, it worked out it worked out for me well in the end because i got to move to portland a lot sooner than i would have otherwise right and so you're doing construction of hopworks and then it's it's up and running and and how long are you there for i was there for four years and um yeah and then uh and then van and i my partner here at gigantic um, you know, we knew each other through the, through the craft beer scene and through the, um, we were both on the, the, uh, Oregon Brewers Guild board of directors and, uh, he was working down at rock bottom in downtown Portland. Yeah. And, um, basically, you know, we were like, we were talking about, we were talking about doing something. Well, actually it started out, uh, I was talking to him because 
a guy had approached him to start a brewery and I was talking to him, to Van, about possibly basically leasing time on their brew house and having my own tanks, right. you know, and so yeah. kind of doing gypsy type thing in a way. Um, and, and that looked like that was going to come together. And then basically that whole deal with that Van had with this other guy fell apart. And so I was back at square one as far as starting, starting my own brewery. And, and then Van, uh, Rock Bottom sold to, uh, to an investment company and Van basically, they said they weren't going to change anything and then they, they changed, changed a bunch everything. Of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They went from like letting all the brewers, you know, there's, there's rock bottoms all across the country Yeah, and they would allow them to brew for each market. And what they did is they're like, no, you guys are all going to make these four beers now and they're all going to be the same. Um, and Van was like, that's bullshit. You know, yeah. one of the reasons why this company has done well is because we brew to taste for each, for each part of the country. Right. Yeah. And, so yeah, so word came down from ownership that he had to be let go, and so at his uh, last day party that we had over at Belmont Station, then I was like, I was like, you and I should get together and just start a brewery together, and so we started um, we started working on it. You know, basically he was I was working at Hopworks, but he was unemployed at the time, so yeah. he had a lot of time to to put together our business plan. We we organized that, then we went out to get it funded. And, uh, you know, we got it funded really quickly, basically in about a month. And um, so I think from, you know, from the time that we got together, it was probably about May to when we started construction. That was in uh, October. Oh, shit. That's really fast. Yeah. And then we um, and then we were brewing beer by like April. So in April of what year? April of uh, 2012. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it was basically about a year from when we got together to start working on it. So when we started making beer and was the, was the, like the concept for gigantic, was it always, I guess, first of all, how did you come up with the name gigantic? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so from the very beginning, we knew that we wanted to stay small. Um, you know, when I was at Hopworks, when I left Hopworks, we were doing about 8,500 barrels a year. Oh wow. And I really liked, it, when we were in that like 4,000 barrel range yeah. or smaller, I felt like that was really good. And, um, so we knew we wanted to stay small, but then also we, we kind of went, we went the wine model to begin with. And so, you know, we're basically going, uh, wide and shallow, right. you know, we're, we're going into large markets. Uh, so just like big cities, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver. Um, and, and so we were going to have a large distribution. So when we started selling beer, when we started brewing beer and selling beer, you know, I think actually, if I remember correctly, the first beer we ever sent out of the brewery went to Adam uh, up at Copper and oh, Theory right on, in yeah. yeah, before we even sold a drop in Portland. Oh, crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's one of those things like it's shipped there, and then the next day it would probably ship to Malitas. But, yeah. um, but we were in like Oregon, Washington, B.C., and Alaska essentially from day one. And um, so – so the name came out of the fact that we basically Van was thinking about, you know, you do this exercise thinking of what you are and what you aren't when you're trying to name things. Yeah. And he was like, well, he's like, man, he's like, we're never going to be some fucking gigantic brewery. <laughs> like, oh shit, there it is. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. And it just, it just fit, you know, it just worked. How, how did you hook up with Adam to begin with to, to send beer to BC? It's funny. I actually just yeah. recorded um, Adam's episode like a couple weeks oh, really? ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yes. So, uh, so with Adam, it was actually you can thank uh, Dustin Dustin Sepikowski for. That. Oh, at thirty three, um, right on. Yeah. Yeah, thirty three. Yeah. So like, um, working at Hopworks, and then we sold beer in BC. Hopworks did, and we worked with uh, Affic, and and I was happy with the Affic guys, but you know, since we were starting a new brewery, I, I was like, I might as well look to see kind of, you know, uh, who people think right. would do the best job for us, you know after we had a little bit of experience and uh dustin was like dude the guys that you want to talk to you want to talk to adam that's the person you want to work with and okay. i'd known dustin i guess for a while you know just uh coming up to great canadian beer festival yeah and uh, meeting him through our friend uh mutual friend abram from right. uh, cider riot yeah and uh yeah so that's that's how we hooked up with adam sweet and and so uh, are you, would you say and your your concept is still um wide and shallow no, I mean actually over time, uh, especially over the past couple of years, we've been we've been pulling it back more towards uh, to Oregon. So like when we first the first five ish years of the brewery, then we were basically you know we were in large markets. You know, yeah. like in, in Oregon, we didn't sell beer outside of the Portland metro area. We right. were nowhere else but the state. So you know, uh, but in addition to that, we were in uh, with the distributor in California and Hawaii. Uh, Chicago, Colorado, um, and New York. And then we also, uh, we've done distribution. We've sent beer to Japan for a long time, right. to, to Tokyo. And um, and we've worked with varying distributors in other parts of the world, in New Zealand and uh, the UK and the Netherlands and Norway. And all wow. of those, um, all those uh, international distributions have like kind of come and gone over right. time. Um, except for Japan, that's the only one that we've had the whole time. And, um, and then basically, you know, like when we started selling beer in Chicago, probably five or five or six years ago now, then there was, I think there was like five breweries in Chicago. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, in a city of 5 million people or, or 5 million people in Cook County. And so there just wasn't a lot of beer. Now I think, I don't know what their numbers are up to, but they're, they're up there now and so what's happened is in every market that we've sold beer you know there wasn't a lot of craft beer and now there is and so as a result uh um we've slowly pulled back in addition like um we've just continued to grow in our home market yeah yeah so and i think i mean so obviously yeah the market gets a little bit more challenging when when more breweries open up and people tend to always seems like they always want what's kind of close to home right and um yeah, and it, I mean, yeah, totally. It, it makes sense that I, I see too that you've got, uh, you know, you've you've obviously continuing to grow home. I, I got close to home because you've got this new tap room that you're opening up. I saw that you posted about. Um, is that just exactly. is that just a response to to just the growth locally, or is that a response to like I, I've been to your guys's brewery and it's a little bit out of the way. Um, is mm. it just trying to get more? Now it's a little bit out of the way for a tourist. So I don't actually yes. know if that's really true. I guess people would come to Arbor and you've been to Arbor and would say it's out of the yeah, way. Yeah, you guys are out of the way. Yeah, yeah, but then I would say no, we're actually really close to everybody in the West. So what, what was the um, totally? What was the reasoning behind uh, doing this this new big tap room outside of just having uh, having a bigger presence across across Portland? I guess. Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, there's a few reasons. Uh, you know, I mean, basically our. Our tap room down here, we never, we actually never thought it was going to be much of anything because um, we are, we're in a light industrial neighborhood, uh, kind of about, about a 15 minute drive from downtown Portland. And, um, you know, we kind of thought that it would basically just be kind of a tasting room. People yeah. come in and try some beers. 
and um and it turns out that like the street we're on is a shortcut for people when they're like going to and from work and and then also i mean we knew we had this but there's this whole residential area that's that's right here right yeah two blocks starts two blocks away and so um people decided you know they're like they liked our beer and they liked the vibe of the tap room and you know four o'clock basically all these other industrial businesses shut down so it's actually you know it's a quiet place there's tons of parking and it's actually a nice place to come down and hang out and have a beer yeah yeah and so so that i mean our tap room here has done so well that that we've been looking to to have a second spot for a while and just kind of trying to find the right fit and um we finally we found a place that also in a it's in a neighborhood you know it's out at 70th and gleason so you know it's 70 blocks from from downtown portland right. on the northeast side just north of burnside and um and but it's it's good in that it's a similar size to the the tap room that we have right now and then we don't like doing food we don't do we don't do any food we got a great you know hawaiian food truck yeah on site here and a mexican truck across the street and uh and this spot that we're going into is a project from uh, these guys at Gorilla Development and they do kind of mixed use where it's uh, some kitchens and a bar and everything they've done the zipper and the ocean here in Portland and so this is just another project for them that uh, is really cool and like basically it's an old garage and so the three roll-up bays uh, are each going to be a kitchen oh sweet and then yeah and then the office is our our tap room and uh, which is about 800 square feet and then they're going to tack another kitchen on the on the side of uh of our building and then basically they're shared indoor and outdoor seating so um so great fit for us so you don't have to operate the kitchen there'll be other people independent people operating exactly oh that's rad yeah we just do beer and wine that's all we do and um that's amazing yeah it's fantastic it's exactly what we want to do and then uh and then it's three blocks from my house too perfect even better that's yeah. great. The, the, um, what are the laws, like the liquor laws like in, in Oregon for that? Like I know in BC, we, um, you know, if we have a, a brewery manufacturer's license, we're allowed three, I guess, tied house ah. satellite rooms. And we can't do like growler fills or anything in them either. Hmm. So how does, it, like, how does the licensing work for that concept? Is it just like a total satellite room? You can do whatever you want in it or are there restrictions? Yeah, so uh, in Oregon, with uh, there's two licenses. There's a brewery license and a brew pub license, and it has nothing to do with like how your business. Well, it does have to do with how your business operates, but not in the sense of like I own a brew pub, I serve food. Um, basically, it just gives you different rights. And so we have a brew pub license, and under that, we're allowed to have um, three tap rooms total. Basically, okay. one at the brewing location, and then two others underneath that license. Yeah. Um, but then we can also self-distribute up to I think it's about 5,000 barrels and and so we're also allowed to hold other licenses so potentially we could go beyond that and have four five six tap rooms uh, under different liquor licenses but then we would be allowed to self-distribute to those other uh, locations oh interesting okay yeah is there anybody um, in Portland that's taken advantage of that or is it not that I know of not yet yeah I don't think so yeah, there might be. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that's, that's done that quite yet. You know, basically, the and the McMinimins brothers. You know, right? Have, yeah, uh, with the hotels, bunch and all of awesome that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they're the ones that got the original law in place, the brew pub law in place, which allowed you to have 
uh, for each brewery, you could have a, a second location. Oh, cool. Okay. And so yeah. for like all the McMinimins locations, for every two, there's one brewery. Oh, wow. So they have, I don't even know any breweries. They probably have 20 breweries or something. Crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd never been to a McMinimins uh, before. And then when actually, I think this was, might've been a year and a half, maybe ago now when i came down uh to portland with mike and lee spence from from the drake and we came we popped in and said hi to you for a brief moment um yeah the uh we we went there for lunch and i'd just never seen anything like it before it's pretty it's a pretty cool concept actually where you have basically everything you need in like i think it was like an old abandoned schoolhouse okay yeah you guys yeah. went up to the kennedy school yeah 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 i know yeah, it's it's wild yeah it's a it's a pretty cool concept um, mm-hmm. Yeah, including rooms to stay in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't stay there, but it. Uh, yeah. But like, you could get popcorn and watch a show. Like they had a theater, and they had there was the, a totally. brewery inside of it, a little brew pub, and a restaurant, and outdoor. Yeah. Like it was. It, I can't actually think of anything in Vancouver that would even come close to being even allowed to probably do that. <laughs> yeah. Like that, yeah. And they they have really cool locations like that. Edgefield, which is out uh, out in East Portland. Um, you know, it's a big, it's basically, it was the poor farm and they took it over. And so it's, they have multiple buildings on the property. And the main one is like a, basically a hotel and there's a couple of restaurants in it, but then they have other bars on the property and, uh, they, they make beer, wine and cider, I believe, and spirits there. They do it all. And then there's like a 18 hole, uh, par three pitch and putt. And they, uh, have an amphitheater out there where I've seen, you know, like, the roots and uh you know just a, a bunch of bands and stuff cool. so it's a really cool yeah yeah they've done a really good job it, you know like oregon's always been pretty like well portland especially is like it's pretty good about I don't, whenever you go down there and you see the culture and you're like oh i wish we had this back home i wish we had this back home would you say that like i mean from growing up there has it always been a pretty i mean i don't want to use the from an outsider i would be say quirky but like has it always been yeah. just that kind of vibe like beer aside has it always been you know kind of i don't know portland has gotten a lot more um i guess press and attention over the years um and, and for like that kind of quirkiness i guess and is it is it always been that way or has it really changed since I, since you've been there i feel like it's always been kind of reasonably a little bit more quirky i mean obviously it's it's magnified more and more as the years have gone on because because I think Portland has always been a place, and Oregon in general, you know, and a real Oregonian attitude would be to, to basically be live and let live, you know, yeah. uh, no matter if you're liberal or conservative or whatever. And so it's basically like, yeah, you do your thing, you know. And and so it starts out, you know, it's always been a little unusual maybe because people just do what they do yeah. and everybody's cool with it. And so then people are like, ah, oh, well, I guess I can move there and I can do my own thing. And it just grows and it's just grown, you know. Uh, over all this time, uh, how would you? So s- I think that's. I think that's why we're at where we're at. Yeah, and I, I how, like. How would you say the? I guess when you guys started Gigantic in in Portland, was the beer scene already like blossoming in Portland? I can't even remember now because I mean we didn't really yeah, start I to mean, get into craft beer until like I think we started really diving deep into it in twenty late twenty twelve, and probably did, we didn't make our first trip down to Portland. I don't think until twenty thirteen, and. Um, Maybe it was even 2014, but uh, but how long has this been going on? And were you guys like the early, one of the early players, or did you come in kind of when it was starting to get hot? No, I think we were actually 
We were based, I mean, you know, Craft Brewing started here in the mid-80s with uh, Bridgeport and then Widmer Brothers, and then you had the growth of the kind of the, the mid-90s, and then you had a second wave in the, or I guess maybe that's the second wave. I feel like, I don't even know, we're, we're at least part of the second wave and part, possibly even the third wave craft brewers because you had the 90s then you had the mid 2000s and i guess you know we opened 2012 so we're kind of part of that that second wave i suppose um so i mean it was very well but i mean it was very well established there's probably i think when we opened there's i don't even i'd have to look back now but i want to say there's probably at least like 80 breweries in the portland area when we opened up so it was very, yeah, there's, it was very well established already. Do you find that a lot of those original 80 are still in operation or, or how is the, I guess, how has the industry changed yeah. since 2012? I mean, the majority of them are still in operation, but it definitely seems like, you know, some people have started to close and, um, you know, and talking to people, it's definitely, it's not, it's not as easy as it used to be. You have to work quite a bit harder for it. Um, you know, yeah. uh, in some ways, it, yeah, it used to be. Seems you, really simple, quite honestly. Before, <laughs> you know, it's funny that like, because I I always think of our industry in BC like being like always a few years obviously behind everything in in the U.S. But then I also think because of the, it, it seems to have accelerated. To be honest, like yeah. it, it was like we went from I can't remember what brewery number we were. I think we were in the forties, maybe. And I think we're there. We're at like a hundred and something now. Yeah, something like that. And it's only been five years. So like, yeah. this boom has happened so bloody fast that I think it it's almost like accelerated what everybody else has felt in the rest of the yeah. you know it, and and how it like you know there generally are people opening this these things now being like oh, I'm just gonna open this this tap room and sell a bunch of wholesale beer and everything will be great and that's not mm-hmm. entirely the not entirely the case. Um, no, yeah. Are are breweries still opening to, at a decent rate in Portland, or do you think that's kind of cooled too now? Uh, it does seem like it's cooled down quite a bit. Yeah, that you know, there's people. It used to be that everybody you you talk to, if they're looking, if they're working for somebody else and looking to open up a brewery, that they were like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do something in Portland. And and a lot of people that I'm talking to now, they're like, they're like, no, I'm gonna find. I'm going to go to this other city. I'm going to go somewhere else where something doesn't exist yet, which I think is, is smart, you know? And, and also people are changing their, uh, their model as far as like you're saying, like it's really hard to, to go and to, to build a, a wholesale brewery, you know? And, and, it, and it's not just, it's not just like what happens over the next five years, what happens over the next 10, 15, 20 years, yeah. you know, you might be able to start a brewery and grow to, you know, 20, 30,000, plus barrels um and and maintain that you know for 10 years but then then how do you maintain it beyond that and um and do you you even want to at that point right you know like yeah well yeah that's the thing too yeah do you want to i mean it seems to me that if if people are looking to sell a brewery if that was their goal that that's probably largely dried up um uh not to say it won't happen a little bit but it seems like most of that's already already happened and then uh so it, it seems to me people are starting to transition to like hey i could start a brewery i could do you know a thousand barrels a year and i could sell most of it in my tap room and do a little bit of distribution and just be happy in that place with you know me and another employee in the brewery yeah um you know and i think i think that's definitely a sustainable way to, to think about it and that's one thing i mean it seems to me that the people that come to our tap room are a lot more uh, you know, they, they love our beer, they love our vibe. And so they, 
they consistently come here as opposed to somebody, you know, buying beer from a store shelf and, you know, one day they're going to grab this beer and the next day they're going to grab that one and they just kind of rotate all around and, and it, and it's worked, but there's just so many, so many beers, so many skews on the shelf that, uh, there's a lot of choice. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it, I mean, I know with, um, I mean, you guys are still in, uh, what size bottle are you guys in again? We're in five hundreds right now. Five hundreds. Okay. And, yeah. and so, um, you know, I, I know with, with, you know, we're obviously pretty four pack four seventy three mil heavy in BC, but you know, the, the liquor stores break those down into singles as well. Right. So even, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, you talk about the amount of choice and then the choice to buy less beer, you know, as well. Right. So I think it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I know sometimes I even get confused with how many SKUs we come out with. So how is, you know, a, a <laughs> somebody on the other end. Actually, I think about that all the time when I go, when I, when I go to the store and I'm looking, you know, basically I'm going to the beer store, I'm going to the grocery store and looking at like where we're at on the shelf and making sure we're priced correctly and all these things like that. But I'm, you know, not so much buying beer, but like, but I look at the choice and I'm just like, man, if I, if I was just a beer consumer, I don't know how I would choose. I mean, it's it's like when I go to the wine aisle. Yeah. You know how do you how do you make the decision on which one you buy? Um, Label. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. Well, Label it, and price. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. And I think too, for a lot of us, I mean, that are the you know we have this conversation every day. We're actually going to raise our prices. Um, like we're not big enough to ever compete on price. Um, with, you know, some of even the bigger yeah. craft breweries. So, you know, we, we need to either, you know, simplify and, and, you know, price our beer where it needs to be for us to be able to make a decent living at this whole thing. Um, yeah. because you know, that race to the, the bottom is pretty fast and it, it, uh, and so we even, it even affects what kind of formats we choose, right? We've got one, our simple things, Pilsner's in three fifty five mil cans right now. And I want it to make sense. I really do. But right now it's the most expensive six pack on the market in BC. And, and so, you know, it's like, well, (laughs) you know, if there's more choice and, and there's a lot of guys that are bigger than us that are still making a good Pilsner. Um, but we just can't compete with that price wise. Right. And, and, uh, you know, so for us, we still, I mean, we do four seventy threes, but we still do the six fifty mil bottles because, you know, at least the, the margin is still decent on those for, Mm -hmm. for your choice with the 500 mil, what, what went into that decision to, uh, to do that format? Cause it does seem like a different format than most of the beer that I would see in the U S. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we were in the 22 for a long time and, um, what we were seeing is it was just starting to slow down. And, and as more people went into 16 ounce cans, you know, the, the price that you can get that people will charge for a 16 ounce can is, is quite a bit lower, yeah. um, you know, on the per ounce. And so, uh, so our bottle is a bottle of gigantic IPA, you know, at four ninety nine. Uh, it just seems like it just seems much more expensive to begin with because you're looking, you're just comparing apples to apples as far as a single, a single can to a single bottle. Yeah. And so it seems really expensive. And then also a lot of people are like, ah, 22 ounces of beer. Uh, you know, I don't know if I can finish that myself in one sitting, even though it's like just over a pint. Yeah. But like, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but basically, you know, we, we saw the 500 mil bottle, which is, you know, essentially, well, yeah, essentially a pint, 16.9 ounces. Yeah. And, and we could, take it down to 399 retail and so that's just uh and still it's the same margin for us right yeah so just make it a little more cost effective for the customer exactly and also something that they feel comfortable just like hey i can i know i can open this and i'm going to drink the whole thing thing, yeah yeah i don't have to worry about it 
650 mil is great. I would still like the format because you can you get two beers out of it, really. Like you get a, a beer and right. a little bit yeah. more. One big beer and one little beer. Yeah. It's just finding the glassware that goes well with it. Yeah. Yeah, we had because a, nobody has friends anymore. Nobody drinks with their friends. <laughs> no, no. And if they do, they do it at the tasting room where they don't have to drink yeah. out of a bottle. So, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I was going to say you were talking about pricing, and yeah. one of the things that I realized is uh, is that you know we've we've been around seven years. Uh, we've taken a price increase one time on the wholesale side, uh, and with kegs, and it was because you know our distributor basically. You know, they decided everybody everybody in the market went up by yeah. five dollars on a keg, so we all took that increase. Right. And on on bottles for wholesale bottles, that price has never changed. And if anything, it's gone down. Um, and I think it's because you know so many people have gone out of gone out of bottles, out of twenty twos, and into you know sixteen ounce cans or or six packs of either bottles or cans. And so that's like you said, like you know. Uh, the price has been drugged down over time, really. And then you also have like all the, the Belgian styles, all these, all these like, you know, barrel aged beers, all these things that, that, you know, we knew we could get really good margin on in the past. There's so many people making those now and the market for them is so small that the, the value of those has dropped as well. People aren't willing to pay what they used to be willing to pay for it. And so, um, so all that, yeah, all that has dropped. The only place, that we have consistently been able to increase our prices is in the tap room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and people are fine with that. And actually, I mean, like our pints are still, uh, probably 50 cents to a dollar less than most people in Portland, especially as you get, you know, towards downtown and stuff. Cause we are, we are in a suburb, you know, we're out, uh, a little out of downtown, but, um, but that also, you know, that's one of the reasons that it's driven us to open up another tap room and, and see how that goes and possibly, you know, maybe open up more down the road. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll I mean, based on our experience with this next one. Right. Yeah. We, we talk about that all the time is like, you know, the, I mean, our dream at Steel and Oak is to do, you know, a few tied houses, you know, with, with the brewery license and it's just, um, you know, but we've never been in that business before calling it like listening to you talk about, you know, not doing food is like the dream, right? Yeah. Because for us, yeah. all all we can think about is, okay, if we do this, it's got to be like a restaurant concept with, with beer. And then I even internally in my head, I'm like, no, we call it a satellite. It's a satellite tap room with some food. And and then I can almost like justify it to myself that I have no idea uh, about the restaurant industry <laughs> and still talk myself into getting into it. Um, so that, uh, yeah, that sounds, right. it sounds like such an ideal scenario. Did you, with um, you know, with your guys' expansion, and obviously I, I see the amount of expansion that Breakside's done, and uh, who, in your opinion, is kind of knocking it out of the park in in Portland with what? I don't want to say what they're doing beer wise, but how they've they've grown their business to still be relevant, I guess, in a pretty hyper competitive market like Portland, without entirely getting huge and 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 I guess selling out. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's hard to say. I guess there's a few ways you could look at that. You know, I mean, um, I know that uh, John over at Ecliptic, you know, like like he's grown his business pretty substantially, fairly quickly and and fairly quietly. I feel yeah. like you know, I don't know how many people know, uh, you know, how how big he's getting. Right. Uh, and actually, I'm not even sure how big he's getting. But I know he's like when I think about you know, there's there's probably three breweries that are that are in this area that are in the similar size open relatively within a few years of each other. You know, you'd look at like ecliptic and Breakside and Freem, and 
you know, those three, they're all, I think they're all making somewhere between 20 and 30,000 barrels a year. And, you know, and they've, they all open. Yeah. Like I said, within a few years of each other, yeah. but I feel like, uh, John has done the, I'm pretty sure he's done the best job as far as, uh, he might be the biggest out of the three at this point and done it relatively quiet, quietly, you know, and just, just had a good plan and, uh, worked with the distributors and, and hired good people that make sure that, uh, everything operates correctly, yeah. you know, and every, all those things you need to do in order to grow are getting done. Um, on, on the other side, uh, I can tell you the, the one of the biggest surprises for me, one of the fastest growing breweries in Oregon is uh, Pelican down on the coast, oh, you know, okay. who I used yeah, to work yeah. for. And what, what blows my mind is that, you know, when I worked there, well, I guess God, it was like 11 years ago now or something. Anyways, 2007. So, um, you know, we did, we did about like 1200 barrels of beer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Darren, you know, Darren was like a real stickler about the beer going out of the brewery and, you know, where it would go, how long it would sit, you know, dealing with distributors, dealing with, you know, all these things. And they basically, like, I don't know when it was, but, you know, it was when they built their brewery in Tillamook that um, they have grown dramatically and basically they're doing it, it seems seemingly, uh, you know, from the outside, it seems like they're doing it on six packs. Okay. You know, yeah. and so and and basically like well priced six packs, right, of craft beer, and um, they've also, I mean, they opened up another tap room in Cannon Beach, and then and then they just announced they're going to open up, uh, I guess that'll be their fourth one down in uh, down in Lincoln City. So they're also expanding their their like brew pub businesses on the coast. Um, but you know, I'd have to look at you know in Oregon, you can actually uh, you can go on OLCC and see the the beer reports. And oh, see okay. how much beer uh, Oregon brewers are selling in Oregon, oh, uh, and that gives you it gives you a sense of size. You know, yeah. it only it only shows the beer that they've sold in Oregon, right? Um, so you can't entirely if they're if they're you know the distribution all across the U.S. It might be tainted a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah totally. Um, and so, uh, but but it still gives you a good good sense of like where people are at and how they're growing. Yeah. Um, Do you think it's easier to grow uh, with that? You know, you you talk about distribution and getting a good distributor. And and I know, like, as you're aware, in in BC, we're not really set up the same way. Most breweries here self-distribute. And uh, Mm -hmm. and, and so would you say that, you know, getting, you know, having a relationship with a good distributor is really the the make or break it for how how big your group brewery can grow, even even in the state of Oregon? Or or is there still some guys that are doing, you know, that that do it? are they allowed to even self-distribute you can't yeah you can self-distribute um so that's one of the things with the brew pub license i forget what it is you can self-distribute it's like around five thousand barrels oh, right, if yeah. you have a brewery license you can self-distribute as much beer as you want right or, or it's like a, it's like two hundred fifty thousand barrels it's a really high number yeah um but yeah i mean i mean everybody anybody who's big works with a distributor and definitely yeah uh distributor choice uh plays a part in in growing and or you know even for us just maintaining where we're at and growing you know growing by little bits and right. stuff so uh, it's definitely yeah no it's very important to to choose the right partner when it comes to um what you want to do and and how you want to sell your beer i know for us you know we we focused on our bottles uh early on rather than on draft a lot of other small brewers focus on draft and um and so we made the decision to go with uh, Melita's because you know they they're in every 
every store in Oregon or well, in, right. in their area, in the metro area, um, as opposed to, you know, if we wanted to focus on draft, we probably would have gone with a different distributor who's known for, you know, just knocking the shit out of selling a ton of draft. Right. Um, but at the same time, I mean, one of the things that, one of the issues that's happening now is uh, distributor consolidation. And so, you know, the, the distributors, it hasn't happened so much in, in Portland. In Portland, we're still pretty good, actually. We have a couple of small distributors that have uh, opened up within the past, I don't know, over the past five years or so. And so um, so it's not like everybody is uh, in a couple of large houses. But, like, in in uh, Washington, you know, our distributor up there, they, they recently uh, bought another distributor. And so uh, these books, you know, the yeah. sales books are just getting larger and larger and larger. And it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard for distributors to, when when a brand wants to come to market, for them just to say, no, we're fine where we're at, you know, because if they don't take it, then they're like, well, my competitor is going to take it. That's, yeah. you know, that's beer we could potentially sell. Um, but at the same time, it's just, yeah, I mean, there's just so much, so much choice. Well, and I, it's I, great for the consumer, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. And I, I remember we had, you know, we had the, um, you know, talk about the book, right? And, and how many different brands are in it. And we had... Uh, um, the guys from the commons up, um, this would have been a couple years ago now. And I remember the discussion over like the frustration of, of, of being in this book and being near the back of it and not, you know, and there just being so much, um, so much choice that, you know, their beer at the, in the format it was in and the price point it's at. And then, you know, obviously sure enough, you know, we all know that they, they decided to close down. And, um, and so I, you know, it's, it's, I guess it, it's good and bad, right? Like it, you get this power of, of a good distributor to help you get out there uh, with, you know, with minimal cost to yourself. Um, but at the same point in time, like you said, if they consolidate, it's pretty easy to get lost real quick, I guess. And it can kind of get out of control. Do, do they make you sign pretty long term? You know, obviously we don't need to really get into contracts and everything, but is it general no. with a distributor? It's not long term. Con- no, it is. No, it is I was going to say what I was going to say. Is, I, we, we can talk about it because. Okay. It's basically uh, in most states. It's uh, it's basically it's the law of that state, you know. And so, um, so yeah, with distributor law for a long time, it was there was really there was really large breweries and, and a ton of little tiny distributors. And so the law was set up uh, in favor of distributors, and now it's the other way around. But it's still in favor of distributors. And so <laughs> in most most states, uh, when you sign with a distributor you are with them. Um, and if you want to get out, then you have to pay them, uh, typically like two to three years, uh, gross sales, Holy you shit. know, basically the profit, the profit that they would make, yeah. uh, off of your business, uh, wow. for those two to three years. And so, I mean, if you're a, if you're a growing brewery, it's not so much of a problem because typically, you know, you're going to a new distributor because you're like, Hey, these guys are going to do a better job for us. And that other distributor is like, we're willing to put down the cash, uh, to, to buy you and bring you over. Yeah. Um, but if you're somebody who's just, you know, with a distributor and, and things are kind of going along all right, uh, or not great or whatever, but you're not really growing and nobody really wants to buy you and stuff, then, then you're kind of stuck at that point. I mean, there is the option to, uh, in, in most places you could completely pull out of a market and stay out of the market for, uh, a few years and then, and then re-enter. Right. But, um, that's not, not always an option. So, right. um, but it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, pretty much, uh, 
it's locked in and there's no yeah there's no way to get around that and with the with the distribution partnership uh you know you and i were talking when you were up here you know um i guess eight months ago and and that um do you have like a, a pre uh i guess a, a pre-done agreement in place with how much beer that distributor takes from you so like if you're like okay i'm gonna brew three thousand hectoliters or three thousand barrels this year um do they commit to saying okay we'll take you know 2500 of that um or is it kind of just you know and as you each batch you brew they they make a different decision yeah you know it's it's one of those like i mean you're 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 working with them to because obviously you, wanna, you both want to sell as much beer as possible but also you don't want to uh end up with old beer yeah yeah <laughs> so so yeah so i mean it's like basically every year we sit down with them look at look at the next year look at our sales goals uh set that together and then uh and then go out and try to operate and do the best we can to meet or beat those sales uh sales goals and stuff but um but yeah it's not like a yeah it's not like like you know kind of like we're gonna make this much beer and you're gonna buy this much right yeah no fair enough yeah um, to kind of, you know, get out of distribution talk, but talk more about your, the brewery itself and, and what you guys are doing. Um, how, how many core beers do you guys roll with at Gigantic? So, uh, at this point, when we first started out, we only did one year round beer, okay. Gigantic IPA yeah. and everything else was seasonal limited release. And the most, the longest we ever brewed them for was for three months. Right. Um, but obviously, yeah, as, uh, as time goes, things change and, uh, yeah, and uh, so at this point we have uh, let's see, one, two, three. We have Gigantic IPA, Kolschtastic, Sassy Ponytail, Ginormous uh, as our four, basically. Yeah, our year-round beers. Yeah. We also do Pipe Wrench, and we, which is our gin barrel aged IPA, and we always have that around at least for the brewery yeah. and our tap house. Um, and then uh, coming up here, we're actually going to add a year-round uh, stout. Oh wow! Um, Bold move. Yeah, that's coming out with this fall, right? Yeah. Cool. Is it going to be an oyster stout? Uh, no. no. <laughs> right. Those on. oyster stouts are fun, and I think they taste really good. But you know, anything like that always weirds people out, right? It does. We uh, like uh, you know, for those of you listening, when Ben came up to brew with us, we did a chocolate oyster stout, which is delicious. But you definitely get a divided audience on yeah. whether they want to try an oyster stout or not. If we just called yeah. it a salted chocolate stout, they'd have been like, oh, yeah, I definitely want this. This is, this is rad. <laughs> and you definitely get, like, the beer nerd community is all about it. But even my own mom, who loves trying all of our beers, and anytime she tries one of our beers, she's like, this is one of the best beers you guys have ever made. And I always say, you say that about every beer, mom. And she's like, I do not want to try that beer. And uh, <laughs> scared her away. Yeah. I'm like, it just doesn't taste out. like, yeah. No, no, no thank you. No. I will have something different. It, it is delicious. It is. It is delicious. What would you say is the favorite? Your favorite beer that you've you've ever brewed? That your favorite? Not maybe the most popular, uh, but your favorite. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> what styles do? What styles do? Like what styles yeah. do you particularly I mean, yeah, dig? I, yeah, I'll say like like year like typically um, when I get off then yeah I'll, when I get off work then I'll go and I'll drink like a Avakolstastic or a Sassy Pony which is our hoppy pale and it's five and a half percent. Yeah. You know, and so typically, like, like I'm in that like lower lower ABV range. If I'm like out, then uh, I'll usually look to see if they have a nice uh, pilsner on tap. Yeah, it, you it's know, talking so. to all us industry people are the exact same. Whereas, you know, we just want a low ABV beer or a really good pilsner, and 
Yeah, or, and, or tequila. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying the other day that or, my my like my two beer choices out. right now are like Pilsner or like Imperial Stout or Porter. And you go hard the other way. Yeah, it's like I'm kind of like one yeah. or the other, not really anything else in the middle right now. Depends on how you're feeling, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, when I when I go out, typically what I drink right now is tequila with soda water and lime. Really? That's what I have. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> or mezcal. That's my, yeah, that's yeah. my go-to drink. No, fair enough. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I always like, we always talk about this with like, oh, you know, we like Pilsner, we like low BV beer, and I'm just waiting for the indus- for the for the customer to come around to that. Um, yeah. You know, and I think it's starting people to happen. People are trying it. They are. Yeah, people are trying it. We'll see how well it works. Like, um, you know, it, it seems to me that people, it seems to me that, that most drinkers don't want anything below 5%. Yeah, fair enough. Or, yeah, because I mean, because for most people, they're like, they're like, no, I'm, I'm here to drink. Yeah, like I want the alcohol. That's part of drinking. <laughs> is getting <laughs> yeah. a little intoxicated. Yeah, you know. And so, um, yeah. So anything lower than five percent, and they're just like, well, what's the point? You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, flavor matters, obviously, but for a lot of people, it's not just about that. And then I think if you want to do something that's lower, then uh, you probably have to charge less for it, too. I think people might be willing to do it if they're paying, you know, a dollar or two less than a pint of something that's, you know, standard standard test, you know? Yeah, we were having this, we made this beer um, called Beep Beep, and it's a, uh, it was like a, we call it a small IPA, um, but it was, I think it was four and a half percent. Um, but it was like, it was charged full of like galaxy and Nelson and it was like, it was, it was fucking delicious. It didn't, didn't cost any less to make. No. And it was super expensive to make. And I'm like, okay, could we duplicate this? Like, you know, in, in, you know, uh, a sessionable IPA for all year, all year round. And then looking at what we'd have to charge for it. I'm like, this would be the most expensive beer that we have. And, <laughs> and just having that debate with like, well, I, you know, all of us, you know, at the brewery, like, well, we'd pay, we'd, we'd pay more cause we don't care what the ABV is, but the general customer will, you're right, will not. They look at it and they're yeah. like, oh, well, why would I pay for less alcohol? And um, so, you know, we'll, we'll either have to, you know, if we like the profile enough, we'll have to jack it up to 5%, call it a pale ale and just be done with it or just not, <laughs> or just brew it as a, as a limited and see what happens and not brew a lot of it and hope that we just get a, yeah. you know, a niche that, that are, that's okay with it, right? In, yeah, exactly. In Portland, would you, are, are you, is Portland still, is Portland up on like hazy stuff right now or is they've gone past that already or, or where, where's the scene there at it? Cause I always figure, figure that the scene yeah. in Portland is a little bit more advanced, um, than, than at least the BC scene would be. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, no, hazy is still really big. Yeah. Um, and I don't think those are going to go away. You know, yeah. I think, you know, that I think I feel like the, the haze level might drop over time possibly. Yeah, I, or the sweetness on the finish, I think, is like the... Yeah, or maybe yeah. the sweetness. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, people will realize that, that it doesn't have to be hazy to be juicy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, like... Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, people... I, if anything, and this might be my Bruce perspective, that's the thing. A lot of times, like, I'll be like, oh, this is what's happening, but, but I realize that it's not... It's what everybody I'm with is talking about, and obviously we're not the standard drinker. No. Um, yeah. And so, like... I feel like I feel like pilsners and lagers are really starting to kind of make a comeback, and that's something that's kind of been slowly building for a while. Um, but really, I mean, still, I, I say that, and you see them a little bit more. But most most times, you go to a tap house, and like you know, yeah, it's a lot of lot of IPA. Yeah, you still drink tons and tons of IPA, and in all ranges, you know. Yeah. But like, if it's hoppy, then they then that's what they want. 
Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I even know my own. I mean, my own tastes. I think have changed, and opinion has changed on the, the style over the year, uh, year and a half. I guess that we've been maybe we've been doing them for two years now. I can't. I don't know, but um, you know that that yeah, like you said, if it's if it's it doesn't have to be hazy to be juicy, and all hazy beers don't have to be super sweet. You know, it, it, it you can you can make variations of them for. Uh, for for even I guess my palate right so I, I'm I've come around and I think that they've been a really good entry point uh, beer for people that are new to craft and it, they seem to you know people that don't necessarily want you know a super dank West Coast IPA seem to dig them and so I feel like mm. they're actually converting people over into beer a little bit which I think is good right so totally yeah and I mean and that's the thing I think the the underlying aspect of what they are is. Is something that I mean I I like it too, but it can for me it can get too sweet. Um, but I like those juicy hop flavors, yeah. you know. And so like the ones that we've done definitely have a little bit of bitterness, but it's more on like the citrus rind yeah. kind of bitterness, you know, rather than that classic, you know, punch your tongue in the face kind of bitterness. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we've also I mean I feel like we've seen people uh, here are interested in those classic like hop flavors too, those Northwest, those West Coast. Uh, piney, dank uh, flavors as well. So, so you get that coming back. But for the most part, it seems like people are really into juice. I mean, look at like people just like what's easy to drink. I guess you know it's definitely changed from like it was basically brewers for a long time telling people, hey, this is what we're making and that's what you're going to have and this is what you should like. To customers kind of being like, no, this is what we like. Yeah. You need to make these beers. I was at a, a brewery with some buddies. A friend of mine was having a baby, so. Um, we went out for some beers at a, a brewery out in a suburb of, of Vancouver. And, uh, the guy in front of me was like, uh, I said to these, like, do you have anything sour? And I was like, no, we don't have anything, sou- any sours on. He's like, do you have anything hazy? They're like, no, no, we don't have anything hazy on right now. And I could just see the disappointment in his face that they didn't have those two very drastically different styles <laughs> that he seemed to want yeah. both of. And, uh, he's like, all right, I'll just have that West coast IPA then I guess. And he was like so disappointed. <laughs> Meanwhile, this brewery had like fourteen fucking taps. Apparently, and they're, not, they're not doing it right though. They're they're missing all these. Yeah, things. I guess, I guess. But I was just—it was the first time where I experienced like, you know, that that that's that is what people want. We need to we need to make them what they actually would like to drink because that is you know our job, right? And I think sometimes it's hard yeah. to get over ourselves because we're like, we did this because we like good beer and we want to make what we want to make, but that's not necessarily yeah. the reality. Otherwise, we'd all drink Pilsner. Um, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, and I agree. And I mean, the, the thing that links those two styles together is probably that they're low in bitterness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, for that guy, I suppose. Um, I conversely, like, like I'll tell you, I go into most tap rooms or yeah, most, I guess most, yeah. A lot of the hot tap rooms, I'll be like, they have 20 taps and I'm just like, all right, I want something. I want, <laughs> I want a Pilsner or a pale ale. Yeah. I want something that's like just easy to drink. And, and it's all sorts of crazy shit, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, and I guess I'm, I suppose that's what their customers want, but it's like, how hard would it be to have one tap that's always dedicated to Pilsner or yeah. Hellas or something, you know yeah. what I mean? Something or Kolsch, something in that range. For sure. Uh, just one, you know, and you can have all the rest of the 19 on, on whatever else. Yeah. You know? But it's just funny look, when sometimes look, you go into the, some there. of those places and they've got 20, 25, 30 taps and like 90% of them are IPAs. You know, and you're just yeah. like, you're like, but like, do, do you really need that many IPAs? Like, you know, like you say, can't you just di- like divvy up those taps a little more evenly uh, and throw in some loggers and pilsners? But 
I also I mean, find that the Pilsner that normally if they do have one Pilsner on, it's like the budget Pilsner. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. it's like they just put it in there for the guy that comes in accidentally and it's like, oh, this yeah. seems like one of those new fancy joints. I just want a lager beer, right? right? And they're like, oh, we have we have this beer especially for you. So here you go. Yeah, Canadian. Yeah. So. yeah. Would you say no? You've um, for those of you listening, Ben comes up to Vancouver quite a bit um, because your wife is Canadian. Um, she is, yeah. yeah. I came up to Canada way before I met her, though. Right, yeah, of course, because anyway. you guys met in Canada. You guys met in Canada, that's right. Um, we did, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Would, what would you say, having you know, grown up in one scene and experienced another, what, what does the Portland beer scene have that Van- the Vancouver one doesn't have yet? God, um, hmm. I don't know. It's probably, you know, honestly, I think it's the, the laws. Yeah. Like, that's one of the biggest things is that... Um, that the the laws in Oregon, as you know, yeah, as I've traveled around it, I've realized that they've been really um, integral in creating what we have here. You know, because they make it uh, relatively to, relative to other places, they make it a lot easier. Um, I'm not saying that it couldn't get better here, but like, um, but we have the ability to do a lot of things, and it's made it uh, it's made it easy to open up a brewery and to have a successful business. I think you know. Um, and so I think that's one of the, one of the things that's really set Oregon apart for a long time. Would you say that, that Oregon and and I guess more specifically Portland is still a pretty friendly industry, like within the the community? Yeah, no, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's also really friendly. And actually, I don't know if that, I don't know if that sets us apart. I feel like, um, that's interesting. I mean, cause I came in, I started brewing in 2004 and so, um, you know, that's like, 18 years from when yeah. they started brewing beer in Portland and craft beer. And, and so I imagine, you know, early on the, the, the guys made, well, now I feel like talking to them that they got along pretty well, that it's always kind of been that way. Yeah. Um, but I know for me, like my generation of brewers, we all, we all got along great and we still do. I mean, we still talk all the time and, uh, you know, we have like email groups between all of us, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's really still a collaborative environment. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that probably, I don't know what it's necessarily what it's like in other places if it is, well, or it isn't like that. No, I, I mean, I think it is, I think it's, I mean, I, I feel like it's, I'm just, I guess I'm always so shocked that it's so friendly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I don't know if I'm just jaded from other parts of life before that, but like, you know, it, the BC <laughs> industry is great, but I remember original brewer Pete, who was, he was German trained guy. So he spent most of his time over in Germany and and they're a little bit more secretive on recipes and stuff like that, but yeah, yeah. it's still a super friendly industry, right? Or even, you know, and they've been uh-huh. doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And, um, you know, so, I, which is great. I'm, I'm glad that it is like that. I think that's, you know, why, how most of us kind of get sucked in is because, you know, it's, it generally is, it has its challenges, but it's generally pretty fun because people are pretty nice and helpful, right? So, um, yeah. which, yeah, exactly. which isn't, you know, which isn't, uh, which isn't a couple traits that are you can find in in most other industries, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I mean, typically people are very competitive with other businesses within the same industry, right? And, yeah, and it's never been that way uh, in brewing. And I think part of it too is I don't know. I've always felt like what we're doing in the brewery, especially when it comes to like recipes, um, you know, from from early on, you know, we posted all of our recipes on our website, and you still find most of the early ones. And the only reason why we haven't done it in a few years is because i haven't had time yeah um but like uh you know van and i we 
we feel like like what really sets our beer apart is the what we do you know it's like our yeast management it's our brewing practices you know there's all these other things that are uh more important than recipe as to why our beer is what it is yeah you know and so i can tell you what i put in it and you can try to make it and it might be pretty similar but it's probably not going to be exactly the same plus like you know our brew house efficiencies are probably different and we have different water and we have different you know there's all these other things that that play into that you know so for sure um we're just running up against it uh ben if you could leave uh a piece of advice for anybody listening that might be looking to open a brewery or is in the early stages of it um from your experience what, what would it be uh, don't no. <laughs> Perfect. We're gonna leave it there. You can cut that out. Yeah, you can cut it out. Yeah, exactly. no, we're leaving that in for sure. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely more challenging than it used to be. And I'd say for anybody, you know, I feel like I feel like we've done well because you know I I worked for other people for a long time, and anytime people like just kind of jump into this industry, um, you know, I feel like in the past it, you maybe you could have done that and been successful. But um, it is so competitive now, and uh, there's so many breweries that, that if you're interested in getting getting into it, I would say, you know, take the time to, to work with somebody else for a while to work at a brewery and really uh, learn what it means to, to make good beer. And, and and I'm not talking about homebrew, I'm talking about industrial because there's yeast management. There's just so many things that go into to brewing professionally that, you know, don't happen uh, on the smaller scale. And then... Uh, yeah, just, I guess, yeah, put in your, your due diligence and your time before you, before you jump in for somebody who's going to open up something new. Rad. Thanks, Ben. I want to thank uh, my guest, Ben Love from Gigantic Brewing. Uh, this has been Beer Life with Jordan Foss. Yeah.